All right, y'all. Okay. The fact that you know what this is is disturbing to me. Um, my wife is a saint. I was, uh, I, we just picked up Piper from Huckleberry, and uh, she came up and gave me a big hug, and I, I picked her up, and she said, Dad, I go on stage with you again tonight. And I was like, no, Pipes, not tonight. And she was like, why? I was like, because you're way too cute, and I'm trying to talk about Jesus tonight, and these kids are just going to want to stare at you. And she was like, that doesn't make sense. So homegirl was losing it as my wife took both crying babies to put them to bed. So if you see her tomorrow, give her a high five. She's a super mom, okay? Um, tonight, uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn, open up to Daniel chapter 6, and we're going to dive in. Um, We've been talking about this all week, but I firmly believe that this is the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. Right? And last night, uh, we, we opened up an aspect of this story that if you remember, I, I said that there are some messages that feel like uh, you, you get to stand up here and you get to teach like the, the peppered, salt and peppered steak, right? Like that ribeye that just goes down so smooth. And other messages are like broccoli. Right? And not the like delicious broccoli we had with lunch today, like the uncooked broccoli that you have to like drench in ranch for it to even be edible. And last night, we talked about this topic of sin, which is not necessarily like the most fun thing to talk about. And yet, this story isn't this story if we don't talk about sin. And I can't lovingly stand up here and tell you the good news of the gospel without talking about the bad news that makes the good news the good news. And so hopefully you had some cool conversations last night in your cabins. Maybe there were some vulnerable moments where you were able to have a discussion. And tonight I want to dive in and all 66 books written by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages over a span of 2,000 years tell one single story. Not about what you have to do to get to God. Not about the, the good life that you have to live to tip the scales on if you do enough good things or if you're a good person, then maybe at the end you get to go to heaven. Know that the, the one thing that this book talks about, the one incredible story that it tells is what God has done to get to us. His willingness, because he is love, to go all the way to demonstrate what that love looks like. I love the way 1 John chapter 4 puts it. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, which Hume Lake should allow every single one of us in this chapel to go, oh. Because it's not about us. It's not about what we have to do to get to God, right? 1 John chapter 4 says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And he sends us Jesus. And tonight we're going to unpack what this story is all about. Why is Jesus such an important aspect of this story? Why in Genesis chapter 3 was Jesus God's plan A? And we pick up the story in Daniel. And we pick up the story again in the New Testament where we see Jesus demonstrate the love that God has for you. And I need you to hear that, Hume. And I think some of you have heard that a lot. Maybe some of you have never heard that before, that there is a God, and he loves you. 
He doesn't love some version of you that you show to other people. He doesn't love the the mask that you wear each day because that's what you think people will accept. He doesn't love the funny version of you. He doesn't love the athletic version of you. He loves you. One of my favorite quotes of all time is a guy named Tim Keller. He wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in this book, he says this. He says, to be loved but not known is superficial, right? If you're in the grocery store, right, you go home, you've been craving that snack because you've been eating Cisco food all week, and you go home and you go to the grocery store and somebody walks up to you in the grocery store and they're like, oh my gosh, I love you. You're like, I don't know you, right? This is a little bit of like what we talked about with the Taylor Swift thing, right? Like if I'm at the Taylor Swift concert, I'm like, Taylor, I love you. She's not like, wait, me, seriously? Oh my gosh, that means so much, right? Like no, if, if somebody says I love you to you but doesn't know you, it's superficial. And Tim Keller says, so to be loved but not known is superficial. He says, to be known but not loved is our worst fear. It's why we wear masks. It's why we pretend. It's why vulnerability is terrifying. It's because every single one of us at our core, the deepest part of us, we desire to be fully loved and fully accepted. And so to put ourselves out there and to be known and rejected is terrifying. And then Tim Keller goes on, he says, so to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. So Hume, let me just repeat this again before we start tonight. There is a God who always has been, who always will be, who is all-powerful, he is all-knowing. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows everything about you. The Bible says he can count the number of hairs on your head that he knit you together in your mother's womb. This God knows everything about you, not the person sitting next to you, not just your parents, not just the people that go to church all the time. He knows you. And that God looks at you and he says, I love you. And not only does he say it, he's gonna demonstrate what that love even looks like. Because we live in a day and age that's like love can mean a million different things, right? I can stand up and I can look at my wife and I can say, I love you. And then I can go down the hill and I live in San Diego, which can I tell you is the home of the best Mexican food on planet earth, okay? And I mean that wholeheartedly. Like I've spent a lot of time in Mexico and I'll eat a burrito or tacos in Mexico and I'll be like, mid, right? Like San Diego is home to the best Mexican food on planet earth. So I can look at my wife and I can say, baby, I love you. And then on a Tuesday, I can roll down to my favorite place called the taco stand, and I can get their Madi Tierra burrito, and I can go, oh, I love this burrito. And if you were like a, a Martian that was fit, like visiting Earth, trying to learn humans, and you went like, so you love wife and you love burrito, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what does love even mean? What does that word mean? What do we do with that word? And so tonight I want to unpack this story a little bit to go, love is, it's actually not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not something that we are left to figure out. Love is actually a characteristic of God that he says, he, God doesn't say I am loving. He doesn't say I can love, I'm capable of it. God says I am love. 
that he gets to define it because it's who he is. And so tonight, as we unpack this story a little bit, I, I want to look at the characteristic of this God that he is loving, that this God restores, that this God rescues, that this God reconciles. So in Daniel chapter 6, we're going to pick up this story, and we're actually going to back up one step to where we left off, left off last night, which was in Daniel chapter 5, verse 34. Okay, But before we get there... Um, <laughs> Y'all know what this is? Coco melon, right? Um, I might get in trouble for saying this on stage, but uh, I firmly believe that in like, if like, in like five years from now, if they came out with a study that said this show was some sort of visual cocaine, I would believe it, okay? Because I, I've watched, if you haven't seen Coco Melon, please, please do not. Do not watch it, okay? Save yourself. Because there's something about this show, if you, like, if there's, like, a group of kids, like, toddlers around, like, tearing apart a room, and then you put Cocoa Melon on, and they're, like, playing, you put Cocoa Melon on, as soon as this thing goes, like, the little bee goes, zzz, zzz, and he goes, Cocoa Melon, all those toddlers will be like, <laughs> it's weird, y'all. Like, the, early on when we were training my daughter, like, we, we, you do, like, sleep training as a parent. So, uh, like, a parent's worst nightmare sometimes is when you really, really need a break, and so you need them to nap when they get home, but they're super tired in the car. And so you, like, you do really weird things to keep your kids awake. And then we found out that Cocoa Melon will keep my daughter awake no matter what. I kid you not. My daughter could be, like, like slump, like, sleeping, and we're, like, she's, like, wakes up. And she'll watch that thing all the way home and then nap when we get home. And I'm like, I'm like what is it about this show? This show's wild. But my, somebody hates me, and so they gave my daughter this toy, okay? And like, literally, when sometimes as a parent, other people will be like, Piper, I got you this. And I'm like, really? Really? Thank you for that, for that like, kit with a thousand beads in it. Like, that's really fun, right? Like, that's, as a parent, that's really, really fun for me to clean. Like, we get home, and it's just like 1,500 beads on the ground. And I'm like... So if you like really don't like someone, I'll just come find me and I'll give you a list of like 10 gifts you can give them and their child, okay? And it's like perfect torture. So uh, my, somebody gave, me, gave Piper this and uh, my wife went out of town like right around the time that, that she gave that somebody gave Piper this. And so my wife was in Nashville. She's a pastor at our church as well. And she was over in Nashville um, at this conference. And when she left for four days, and this was like my first time as a dad being left with Piper, like me and her, like together, right? Which was rad. Like I was, I was pumped for it. Paige is like the world's best mom, and I was excited for like an opportunity for just me and Piper to like bond for four days. And so morning one, uh, Paige is gone, and I wake up, and uh, homegirl grabs this thing, and she just, it's like 6 a.m., because toddlers are like that, and she does this. Okay, that was one 
That was one click. That was one. Homegirl, for about 15 minutes, walked around just button mashing this thing. Right? And if, like, if you start button mashing, right, it's like, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm, th- I'm, I'm thankful, I'm thankful for my, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, I'm looking up one-way flights back from Nashville, right? I'm like, <sighs> so I, I, like 15 minutes in, I look at Piper and I'm like, hey, Pipes, um, what would you think about not? button mashing Cocomelon. And she's like, we can watch Cocomelon? I'm like, no, no, no. And, and, and I kid you not, like Piper's, I think Piper's idea of dad and her connecting was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna button mash this thing for four days and this is gonna be great. And here's the sad part, right? Like I had spent uh, all this time, uh, my wife and I have like San Diego Zoo passes, we have a park right down the street, and I had gotten all excited about like these four days where I wanted to connect with my daughter. Right? Like I'm, I love being a girl dad, like I freaking love it. Like that little girl is my world. Like when she runs up to me and gives me a hug, like it just melts me. I love being her dad. And so I was really looking forward to these four days where we could like connect and we could bond because I want nothing more than when Piper grows up for, for her and I to have this like solid relationship. Like, I, I want her to know that she can come to me when she's had, like, the worst day ever. I want her to know that, like, her and I can connect, like, we can have these conversations. Like, I live for those, like, daddy-daughter dances. Y'all, and if you ever want to see me a wreck, like, find me at a wedding during the daddy-daughter dance, like, your boy can't watch those anymore, right? Like, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and, like, as soon as they start dancing, I'm like, <laughs> like, babe, my, my wife's like, are you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not, right? Like, She's staying at home till she's 30, right? She's not, a, at 31, she can date. And that's when she's allowed. But these four days, I'm looking at these four days going like, I'm bummed. Like my, all my daughter wants to do is play with this stupid Cocomelon toy. And like, here I am going like, I, I want to, like you and I, like I want to connect. I want to have this, I want, I want us to build memories. I want us to, to create this relationship. And as I was watching this unfold, I was immediately convicted. And there's, I, I think there's a couple different categories of people in here tonight. I think there's those of you in here tonight that have heard uh, when, when you, maybe you even know what like a gospel message chapel is and you came in here tonight and you went like, oh cool, it's the gospel. And if we're not careful, friends, I think we could even go, mm, this is the gospel. Like this is, this one's for, not for me, but like, I, it was for me like a couple years ago, but not anymore. I mean, we can miss it. Some of you, maybe, maybe you've kind of written off chapel as like the one part of your day that you just kind of go like, like you, you can like settle in and you can find that like zen, that like zone where you're like not asleep. Right? Like if I, if I like said something, you could be like, amen, right? Like you could like wake up just barely enough. Like, and here's what I, I just want to challenge you with something really quick, Okay. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite uh, theologians, he says this. He says, it would seem that our Lord, our God, he finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
Like an ignorant child who wants to go on and making mud pies in a slum or button mashing a cocoa melon toy because they cannot imagine what is meant by offering a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. So Ponderosa. If we can, if we can kind of buckle up tonight that whether you've heard the gospel message a hundred times before and you've been around the church for forever, or maybe you, like when I say gospel message or chapel or talk about the Bible, like maybe you have no clue what I'm talking about. Wherever you are tonight on that spectrum, would you just lean in? Because I believe wholeheartedly that the God of the universe wants to speak to you tonight. He wants to move. He wants to meet you exactly where you are tonight. And as I watched Piper settle for something so silly as this stupid Coco Melon toy and miss out on a relationship with her dad, right? And, and like, like, don't confuse this. Like, I'm, my relationship with her is like so broken in comparison to God's desire to love and his invitation for a relationship with you. But I think sometimes you and I, if we're not careful, we settle for silly, like immediate gratification things that are in front of us. We find our identity in things like sports and popularity and being funny. And like it, even during chapel, we can like make the joke to make the person next to us laugh. And we can go like, like we, you know the suppressed humor is like the funniest humor? Like when you're not supposed to laugh, everything is hilarious. And if you heard that joke outside of chapel, you'd be like, bro, that's not even funny. Right, but like in chapel, for whatever reason, you're sitting there and you're like, <laughs> like trying... Like, tonight is not the night, y'all. Like, just lean in, okay? Because I think we're far too easily pleased. And a lot of us, if you're anything like me, I grew up in the church thinking, like, dang, it's so hard to be a Christian because you have to, like, suppress these desires. Like, you can't have sex before marriage, and you can't talk a certain way, and, like, you're not supposed to, like, date a certain way, and you can't do these drugs, and you're not supposed to drink out. And, like, it felt like there were so many rules, and I had to take all these things that I wanted to do and just, like, shove them down in order to follow God. And I love that Lewis says, no, 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 we're missing it. It's not that our desires are too strong. It's that they're too weak. We want simple things when God is offering us infinite joy, full satisfaction, complete fulfillment in him and in him alone. So Daniel chapter five, chapter four, sorry, verse 34. Daniel chapter four, verse 34. Hume Lake Ponderosa. If you're in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, can you give me a nice loud preach? At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes up toward the heaven. Y'all remember Nebuchadnezzar went crazy, right? For seven years, he was like covered in dew and like ate with the animals. And God said he, he fulfilled the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, he found himself here. So God humbles Nebuchadnezzar. He puts him out as a beast in the field. At the end of that seven years, this is Nebuchadnezzar. He says, at the end of that time, at the end of the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes up towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. Circle that word, restored. Then I praised the Most High, I honored and I glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, circle that word, my honor and my splendor was returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored, circle that word, to my throne and became an even greater than before. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. See, seven years into this humbling journey, Nebuchadnezzar finds himself humbly glorifying and recognizing God as, his, as he's supposed to be in his rightful place. I mean, we talked about this already this week, but in James chapter four, it says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. See, it took seven years for Nebuchadnezzar to find himself in a place where he was no longer saying, look what I've done and I got this. And in the midst of his humility, recognizing who God is, it says that God restores Nebuchadnezzar. Know that that is God's heart for you, to restore that which is broken. And, and you know the parts of you that are broken. You know the parts of your story that are broken. And, and some of you might even sit here tonight and go like, you don't understand, Austin. Th this part is too broken. These things are, are too far gone. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart and, and, and from all 66 books of scripture that God is in the business of taking broken things and restoring them. God's heart for you is restoration. And so we turn the page. Um, if you want to read a, a crazy story, y'all, if you think the Bible is boring, it's because you haven't read it yet. Like, if, if you go, like, I don't know, like, I don't really want to dive into this book, like, it seems kind of boring, like, just spend some time in here. Like, this book is chock full of story after story after story and uh, assassinations and people being mauled by bears. And Daniel chapter five is one of those examples of a story that makes me go like, huh? Like I hope heaven has like a YouTube stream that I can just go and be like, pull up Daniel five. Like I wanna see this one. I wanna see people at a dinner when like a hand comes out of the wall and starts like writing things on the wall. I wanna see it. And so like, for the sake of time, uh, we're not gonna get into Daniel chapter five, but essentially what happens is uh, Nebuchadnezzar's son comes into power, and we kind of saw it play out in the video here, but his son comes into power, and he's having a party, and he forgets everything that his dad has gone through. He looked at the life of his dad and went, eh, I wanna figure it out my way, right? Like, tale as old as time. Genesis chapter three, did God really say, I don't want to trust God and I don't want to trust what he said. It took Nebuchadnezzar's entire life for him to go, all right, Lord, I trust you and I trust what you say. And then his son goes, no thanks. And we see uh, this king, Belshazzar, fall into some of the same pride, some of the same arrogance, some of the same sin, and it'll cost him his life. And then in Daniel chapter six, we see a new king come into power. His name's Darius. And, he, and Daniel, we find Daniel in power under Darius's reign. And then just like we saw in the video, Darius kind of gets tricked. Some of the other officials, some of the under, uh, other um, government magistries, they trick Darius into saying, hey, let's make a new decree. Let's make a new law that nobody can look for wisdom. No one can pray to anyone else. No one can worship any other God except you, Darius. And Darius is like, all right, sounds good. 
And they, they trick Darius into making this decree, into making this law that anybody who worships another god, prays to another god, looks, looks for wisdom, will be thrown into this, this lion's den. And then we see Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, now Daniel learned that that, that decree had been published, and he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem, his home. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. And then, uh, can we just read this next part together? Three times a day, he got down on his knees. He gave thanks to God. What does it say next? Just as he had done what? Just as he had done before. Now, this is really important, okay? Because this isn't Daniel going like, oh, new decree, huh? I can't pray? Watch this. Goes over, opens up his window, and then prays. This isn't like Daniel Christian flexing. Hey, this is Daniel, and, and a lot of theologians will say Daniel, at this point in time, in the, in the reign of Darius, Daniel's somewhere between 80 and 85 years old. Hey, when Daniel first came into Babylon, do you know how old Daniel probably was? He's probably your age. He was somewhere between 13 and 18 years old. That as a young man, he was taken from his home. He was placed into exile. And Daniel chapter one says, he resolved not to defile himself. Remember, he didn't prepare for exile in exile. He didn't prepare for the storm in the storm. But now we see an 80-year-old Daniel that's been faithful all his life. And it says that he goes to this upper room. He faces towards Jerusalem, his home, and he prays. Then those men, they find Daniel praying. They go and they tell on him to Darius. And then he gets thrown into the lion's king. And then in verse 16, it says that, that uh, Darius comes up to Daniel. And he says, may your God whom you serve continually. Know that Daniel's life was an example to Darius. May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Circle that word rescue. And a stone was brought, and it was closed in on the, den, on the lion's den. And then in verse 20, it says that, uh, or sorry, in verse 19, at the first light of the dawn, King Darius gets up, and he hurries to the lion's den. And he came, when he came near the den, he called to, out to Daniel in an anguished voice. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answers, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. See, we see here a story of Daniel being rescued because his faithfulness. And I think as awesome as this story is, right? Like this would be the craziest testimony ever. Like if your youth pastor got thrown into like a cage at the lions, uh, like, or, like at the zoo, the local zoo, and he like sat there and prayed and like the lion's mouth was shut even though he was starving. How do you know he was starving? Read the next couple of verses. Like the guys that were trying to trap Daniel, they get thrown into the lion's den and the lions instantly consume them. Like if this happened to your youth pastor, nobody would stop talking about it, right? That thing would go viral. And yet we can, like, we can hear this story and we can go like, cool, and yet, like, the, the, the greatest thing about this story is that this story is just all foreshadowing. That when we hear about a God that restores, when we hear about a God that reconciles, when we hear about a God that rescues, it's all the Old Testament foreshadowing the ultimate rescuing, the ultimate restoration. See, to reconcile means to mend a relationship. Last night, we talked about this, this sin topic, that every single one of us has a sin problem. 
The scripture says that we all have sinned and we all have fallen short of God's perfect standard. And remember the slap, right? Remember we were talking about like if you slap your sibling, phone gets taken away. If you slap a police officer, a year in prison. If you slap like, like the higher you go up, the crime matches the punishment. And so when we commit cosmic treason against the God of the universe, that the, the, the punishment will match the crime. And scripture says that the wages of that sin is death. See, God is a just God. And he will always act out of justice. And that just God has wrath. And now wrath is one of those weird churchy topics that we don't talk about enough, but it's very simply defined as this. It's God's love in action against sin. God's wrath is his love in action against sin. See, if God is a loving God, God has to hate that which hurts the object of his love. Y'all, uh, did I ever tell you about that one time I almost punched a doctor in the face? So, <laughs> Piper, at her two-month check-in, uh, babies cry, like that's just a thing, babies cry, but then like parents in the room, you know the difference between when your baby just cries because they're crying and babies cry, and when, you're, when your baby is hurting, and when your baby's in pain. And the first time I heard Piper's like ouch cry, in pain cry, was at her two month check-in and the doctor walked up and the doctor, like I feel like doctors always say this, like doctor, the doctor was like, hey, she's gonna feel a little pressure. I was like, little pressure? Like, what does that mean? And so, and then the doctor pulls out this shot and she sticks the needle in Piper's thigh. And like, I understand, like, she's trying to help. She's like a doctor, that's what she's supposed to do. But like, as soon as, soon as she stuck that needle in Piper's thigh and then Piper let out that like a cry that I hadn't heard before, like ouch cry, like Papa Bear looked at the doctor and was like, right hand? No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> right? But I went, I, I looked at that doctor and I was like, mm, I hate seeing my baby girl hurt. I hate it, right? Like none of you, if Piper was walking towards immediate danger, right? Like if there's a car rolling down the, the street and Piper's like out on her pink Strider bike and, and like I'm just standing back going like, she's gotta learn, right? <laughs> and there's a car coming down, none of you are going like, that's a good dad. <laughs> no, right? Like it's like as a parent, I hate that which hurts my daughter. If she's reaching for something that will hurt her, it's my job as a parent to go, I am going to teach you and show you the things that lead to your destruction. So remember this analogy where we went, cone, 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 immediate death. Cone, 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 immediate death. Cone, 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 immediate death. All throughout scripture, God's gonna show us his way of doing life. And when we choose the landmines, the things that lead to our destruction, even if it's not immediate, right? James chapter one talks about sin being gradual. That it says it has to be full grown for it to, for it to lead to our death. If sin killed us instantly, right? Like if you walked outside and you lusted after a woman and then lightning just struck you, we wouldn't struggle with sin as much. But it says that it's, it's gradual. It's this thing that, that when we're tempted, we're led away, and then our, we, our desire is there, and then when sin is full grown, it leads to death. And so God looks at the things that, that lead to his children's death and go, I hate that. God hates that which draws his children away from him. 
He has this wrath. And because all of us are sinners, because all, every single one of us is born into this sin problem and then lives it out, right? Like every single one of you, every single one of you, including me, we are all sinners and it's not hard to see. Like I, I just said, babysit my kids for a night and you'll see it. Like hang out with my nephews and nieces and you'll see it. Like my nephew, Ethan, can have like a whole bucket of trucks and then my other nephew, Cooper, can walk up and like grab one of the like 73 trucks that there are and Ethan will look over at him and go, mine. It's like, who taught these kids that? Right? Like my brother's not like, hey, when, you're, when your cousin comes over and, and plays with your truck, make sure you snatch it out of his hand and say, mine. And then when he does it, he's like, that's my boy. No, it's so natural to us. It's scary to see, but it's so natural. Like sin just comes natural to us. We're born into it. And, and scripture makes it crystal clear that sin has a consequence. And that consequence is death. And yet, John chapter 3, verse 17, one of my absolute favorite verses in the book of John. Right? Y'all might know John 3, 16. It's a pretty famous one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Jesus won't perish but shall have eternal life in Jesus. The very next verse, you know what it says? It says Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. So when we look at these three words that God restores, that he rescues, that he reconciles, would you know, would you go all the way back to the beginning of this chapel where I looked at you and said God loves you and his heart for you is not to condemn you? That when it's scary to talk about your sin or when it's scary to be vulnerable and open, would you know, Hume Lake Ponderosa, that there's a God that goes, I'm not here to condemn you. I sent Jesus first and foremost to save you. So here's what I want to do right now. This is the part of chapel where I wish genuinely, I wish I could just pause. And I would just, me and you, we could just sit down. I'll give you the Gatorade. You need the electrolytes. I turn 31 next week, so I need the Red Bull. Sugar-free, though. Don't worry. And this is the part of chapel I wish, I wish we could just pause. We could just go like, okay, eliminate the other 700 people in this room, and let's just, let's just chat, me and you. And I wish we could just settle in like, on the Ponderosa deck over there and just go like, hey, can we just... Can we just have a talk about this? Can we sit down and, and, and maybe we would sit and, and you would open up your Gatorade and, and you would take a sip and then we would just go, okay, maybe you would sit and go, Austin, I, 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 I kind of get it. I understand like what we've been talking about all week and like at first when you were talking about that our hope and our home is in heaven and that we have to worry, like our, our fear of God is more important than our fear of man and that we can persevere through these trials because I know how the story ends. Like I've been tracking all week but now I wanna know like what does this boil down to? You said this is the greatest story ever told. It's hardly ever told in its entirety. Tell me the story. And this is where I would just, you know, open up my Bible and I would flip open to Romans chapter one. And I would say, Romans chapter one says in verse 20, and you don't have to turn there, I, I, like we can look in on, on my Bible and I would say, Romans chapter one verse 20 says that there is a God and that he can be clearly seen. Simple as that. It says that there is a God and that through creation, through nature, creation itself cries out that there is a creator. If you and I went on a walk at Hume and we found a cabin up in the woods, we wouldn't go, whoa. 
must have been some crazy storm this week that some trees fell and like a cabin just came here. Now, when we look at intelligent design, we go, there must have been an intelligent designer. When you look at just creation around us, creation itself cries out that there's a creator. So Romans chapter one is gonna say, there is a God and he can be clearly seen. And that we as humans, we suppress that truth, which means that we know that truth naturally and yet we push it down. That there is a God, he can be clearly seen. Romans chapter one says, and then Romans chapter three, verse 10, says that there is no one good, not even one. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's perfect standard. That in order to be in relationship with him, we have to be perfect. And so maybe I would, I would look at you and I would, you know, we would take another sip of our drinks and I would go, are you perfect? And you'd go, <laughs> no. Like if, you, if we had enough time to talk and, and to walk through this, I would go, you, very clearly I'm not perfect. And Romans chapter three is gonna go, yeah, you're not perfect. No one is perfect, not even one. In fact, we have all sinned and we all fall short of God's perfect standard. And maybe this is where you would interrupt me and go, Austin, I thought you said this was called good news. And I would look at you and I'd say, it's about to get a little bit worse. But it's gotta get worse before it gets better. And so Romans chapter six, verse 23, says that the wages of that sin is death. That sin actually has a consequence. That like, just like you, maybe I would ask you, do you have a job? And you'd say, yeah, and I'd go, okay, the wages of your job is your hourly wage that you deserve because of the job that you've worked. In the same way that what you've earned because of the sin in your life is death. And the Bible, when it talks about death, especially in the book of Romans, it's not just talking about like a physical death because that's coming for all of us. It's talking about an eternal separation. That Jesus makes it very clear that there are two places that we're gonna end up when we physically die. And he says the wages because you are a sinner that all sinners, that you will spend eternity apart from Jesus in a very real place called hell. So when the wages of sin talks about death, it's not just a physical death, it's an eternal separation. I'd say, but here's, here's where it gets good. Romans chapter five, verse eight, says this, and I love that it says this. Romans chapter five says, at just the right time. I love that. Right, that God's timing was perfect in the way that he demonstrated that he loves us. It says at just the right time, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. See that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that God sends his son, Jesus. And Jesus is gonna live a life on earth and he's gonna experience the things that you and I experience. He's gonna experience hunger and loneliness. He's gonna experience betrayal by the people closest to him. He's gonna grow up with siblings. He's gonna have a mom and a dad. He's gonna experience uh, moments of, of uh, even confusion on what's happening around him. He's gonna walk and pray to his father and he's gonna ask even in a moment of anguish with his father that God would do things differently. And I love that we can look at Jesus and say, he didn't just sit high in the sky and go, let me just tell you that I love you. He walked the earth to show us what love looks like. And Romans chapter five is gonna say, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, while we were in our sin, Jesus chose to die. And you go, whoa, whoa, wait, why did Jesus have to die? 
And I would back up and say, remember, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus took that death upon himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 puts it this way. It says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Yeah, righteousness, big churchy word that just means right with God. And the opposite of right with God is wrong with God. And because of our sin, every single one of us is naturally wrong with God. But remember, God is a God that restores. God is a God that rescues. God is a God that reconciles. He mends this relationship. And so he gives us his son who lived this sinless, perfect life that you and I couldn't live and then he dies a death that you and I deserve to die so that he might invite us into a life that he deserved to live. And now maybe you're sitting here and we would go, okay, so now what? What do I do with this information? And this is where I would turn to Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 10. And I would say, see friend, all sin must be paid for either by you or by Jesus, that there will be a day where every single one of us stands before the God of the universe. And on that day, we will be asked one question. And that one question will be, did you know my son? Because all sin must be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. So Romans chapter 10, verses nine through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It's the Greek word kurios, which means to, to bow our knee, to surrender, to hand over the steering wheel of our life and give it to Jesus. It's not just a, a recognition cognitively that there is a God. It's as if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. That we say, Lord, no longer, I'm no longer in charge of my own life. I surrender to you. And it says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, here's the best part, friend. Jesus didn't stay dead. That the wages of sin is death, but Jesus is gonna go to the cross and he's gonna die a brutal death on our behalf to demonstrate what love looks like, but he doesn't stay dead. It says that three days later that Jesus resurrects to prove that he can make dead things alive. And you and I, without Jesus, we are dead things. There is no one good, not even one. And the wages of sin is death. And so all sin must be paid for either by you or by Jesus. So Jesus dies, but then he resurrects to prove that he has the power even over death. And so it's up to you. What will you do with Jesus? We have a decision to make. I wish so badly that the Bible just said, if you stand in front of a group of people and just yell Jesus, they'll be saved. Because we would just, Hume like we would just pack this chapel and we would just like have a ton of fun all week and then we would just yell Jesus and then we'd be like, next, those people are all going to heaven. I wish it said, like if, if your parents were really faithful or if your life group leader was really faithful, but it has to be you. You have to make that decision. Romans 10 makes it clear that every single one of us individually has to say, all right, I'm coming to the end of myself. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. It's the humility to say, I can't do this alone. 
And I'm gonna hear these words of Jesus's and I'm gonna put them into practice. I'm gonna trust him enough to do what he says. And so my house can be built on the rock because my hope and my trust is in him. I'm gonna confess with my mouth, Jesus, you're Lord. I give you my life and I'm gonna believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That the power of the gospel is in the resurrection and now live in daily grace, remembering the good news of the gospel, not settling for the cocomelon toy things of this world that are just cheap fixes in front of us, when the gospel offers us infinite joy. So here's what I'm gonna do, Ponderosa. In just a second, I'm gonna pray for us. And please hear me loud and clear. There are no magic words. There's no magic prayer that saves. There is only one thing that saves, and that's Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us in just a second. And if you want to pray a prayer with me, I'm just going to walk you through uh, words that you can say to God as you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And if you wanna pray this with me, this is just the simplest way to recognize I'm in need of a savior. So Ponderosa, would you bow your head and would you just pray this with me? Tonight, if you want to recognize that Jesus is your Lord and savior, and, and you've never done that before, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, would you just, would you just pray this with me? God, thank you for this week at Hume. God, and I sit here tonight and I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. God, and I recognize that the, the consequence, the wages of that sin is death and it's an eternal separation from you. But God, thank you that you sent Jesus and that Jesus lived a perfect life and that Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for my sins. And thank you that you raised Jesus again from the dead. God, tonight I give you my life. I surrender to you. I put my hope and my trust in you and in you alone. And from here on out, from this day forward, God, I live for you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's what I wanna do. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do something uh, a little bit bold, and here's why. I'm going to ask you if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, not, not that you've said it before, but you just want to say it again just to make sure, I, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time tonight, in just a second, not right now, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and here's why, okay? You got counselors all around this room that want to do two things. Number one, we want to celebrate with you. The Bible makes it crystal clear that when you surrender your life to Jesus, Romans chapter 8 says that you're adopted into his family, which means that you are now a son or a, or a daughter of the king of the universe. That The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, it says that you, you were once dead in your sins, now you are alive in Christ. And so first and foremost, by standing up, we just want to look at you and be like, that's my brother. That's my sister in Christ. We want to celebrate with you. And number two, right, unfortunately, we don't all get to live at Hume for the rest of our lives. 
Uh, Y'all are going to go home. And so the second reason I'm going to ask you to stand is that your counselors want to look at you and we want to keep you accountable. We want to go down the hill and go, let's, let's walk this out together. Let's live it in community. Let's dive into uh, to youth group, into life groups, and let's, a week from now, a month from now, three years from now, let's keep walking this thing out as iron sharpens iron, so we need to sharpen one another. So for two reasons, num- number one, we wanna celebrate, number two, we wanna keep you accountable. If you said that prayer with me tonight, for the very first time, and surrendered your life to Jesus, would you go ahead and stand up to your feet right now? Okay, you guys can grab a seat. Counselors, hopefully you were able to look around and see your students, okay? Now, I wanna, I wanna talk to a second group of you real quick, okay? If you didn't stand up tonight, you're telling me one of two things, okay? Either one, you've said that prayer before, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, okay? Which is awesome, okay? Keep walking with him. Or two, you're not ready yet. Maybe you're still wrestling, Maybe there's still some things about this God or this Bible or church that you're like, man, I don't know. And, and for that group of people, hey, can I just talk to you for a second? If you're still not there yet, if you're not ready to give your life to Jesus yet, keep wrestling. Hey, the worst thing you can do if you're not ready is just go, eh, Whatever. The best thing you can do is to keep wrestling, keep asking those hard questions, seek out your leader or your youth pastor and go, man, I don't know about this God thing. I don't know about this Christianity thing. I don't, I'm, it's hard for me. I don't get it. Hey, don't give up. Keep fighting, keep wrestling. James promises us that if we seek after God, we will find him. And my prayer for you is that you keep seeking, keep struggling. But for those of you that were sitting down that have already surrendered your life to Jesus, let me, let me talk to you for a second, okay? If you're sitting in this chapel and you go, I am a follower of Jesus, I am a disciple of Jesus, maybe tonight you heard the gospel and maybe there was a moment of conviction where you went, for sure, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but it doesn't look like it. If you looked at my life over the last month, three months, maybe the last year, my daily life doesn't demonstrate that I'm a follower of Jesus. So maybe you've said that prayer before, but you know that there's something that you need to deal with tonight. You know that there's something that you need to leave behind in this chapel tonight. You know that there's something in your life that needs to change, that needs to shift, and you need to invite Jesus in to continue to transform your life. And friend, can I tell you the good news of the gospel is that his grace is what saved you, and his grace is what continues to sustain you. And so the Bible teaches a very clear doctrine called repentance, which is a big churchy word that just means to change your mind. That's it. Repentance is like you're walking one way, you stop in your tracks, you change your mind, you turn around and you walk the other way. And so for those of you that have already surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm gonna challenge you tonight that if you know that there's something that you need to repent of so that you can get back on track of following Jesus, this isn't like rededicating your life to Jesus. This isn't getting saved again. This is tonight going, I need to repent of something. And don't do this lightly, right? Because your counselor's gonna come up to you and go, hey, so why did you stand? 
Why did you need to repent? And I hope that you can wrestle with this and have this conversation tonight and go, there's something I need to stop or there's something I need to give up. There's something that needs to change so I can get back on track with Jesus. So follower of Jesus in this room, not right now, but in just a second, I'm gonna ask you to stand up if you know that there's something you need to repent of. And this can be a little bit scary. But two things, two reasons, and the same two reasons. Number one, I and your counselors around you and the human-like staff, we wanna celebrate with you. You wanna know why? Because you're getting back on track and living life and life abundant that is joy and infinite joy with Jesus. That's the coolest thing ever. So if you stand up tonight to repent, number one, we wanna celebrate with you. Number two, you bet your bottom dollar we wanna keep you accountable. If you're repenting from something and leaving it behind as you walk down the hill, your counselor wants to call you a week from now and go, hey, you stood up in that chapel, how's that going? I wanna keep praying for you. I wanna keep walking this out with you. So Hume Lake Ponderosa, follower of Jesus sitting here, if you know that there's something you need to repent of, Go ahead and stand to your feet right now. Awesome. Okay, so if you're standing right now, make a commitment to me. Hey, you don't leave this chapel tonight without having a conversation with maybe your life group, with maybe your community, with maybe your life group leader, your youth pastor of going like, hey, I want to get back on track with following Jesus. And friends, can I tell you, like those of you standing right now, if you take this seriously, if you walk this out, if you start practicing this now as a high school student, I'm 31, and there's still daily, weekly moments of repentance for me where I go, God, I need to get back on track. And God's grace is so good that he invites us back time and time and time and time again. So let me just pray over you. For those of you that received Jesus for the first time tonight, for those of you that are standing right now in repentance, let me pray for you, and then we're gonna worship, and then we're gonna have some cool conversations. So Father, thank you for this crew. God, thank you for Hume Lake in this week where we get to just get away and eliminate distractions and open up your word and learn. God, thank you that we just get to look at you and your character, and as we grow in our understanding of you, God, it it will transform us. And thank you for the ways that it's done that this week. God, thank you for Jesus and for sending your son and for loving us and demonstrating what love looks like. That Jesus walked this earth and that he gave us an example of what it looks like to live, but he also died and was rose again, risen again, God, on our behalf to demonstrate what what, what life looks like. God, we don't want to take that for granted. We don't want to take that lightly. We want to celebrate that tonight. Thank you for new life. God, thank you for the sons and daughters in this room, for my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, may we leave this mountain on fire for you. Would we not hold in this gospel truth for ourselves, but in our high schools, in our families, in our sports teams, would we go and would we share this good news? We love you. Thanks for loving us first. It's your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.